Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Yeah! Well, happy Halloween, crowdfunders. How is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? Everybody doing great? How's your guys' campaigns going? Hmm? You guys raising that money? So, start of a new week. We got... Halloween is today. What's everybody being? Everybody got their costumes ready to go? I know here at our house, we've got a, um, we've got no shortage of them. I think my son's going to have three or four different costumes for all day tomorrow. He's basically like Beyonce at the Super Bowl. Um, you know, you got to change it up, you know, uh, every hour on the hour. Uh, my daughter, daughter's probably rocking, I think, four or five um, outfits. And, and that happens because, you know, my my their great grandma buys them uh, a costume my mom buys them a costume my parent my my wife everybody's buying costumes and nobody realizes we've got a ton of costumes so well i'm jeff wenzel uh and you're listening to my podcast and uh this podcast is where we deconstruct world-class crowdfunding campaigns and i love talking to project creators while the campaign is active so we can really get that sort of you know, fresh vibe from them and we can get the latest, greatest, you know, the newest tricks that they've done or how they, how they approach it and how they're getting that funding. So, but on today's episode, yeah, I got another curveball for you. Um, I, I actually, I had a, I, a guy named Nathan Rose reach out to me, um, through the podcast and asked to actually be on it. And I was like, okay, who is this guy? You know, let me, let me go do some research. Why, why is somebody emailing me to be on the podcast? And, uh, turns out that uh, Nathan is uh, from a company called Assemble Advisory, and Nathan is an equity crowdfunding expert, and he's from New Zealand, um, but he's based kind of all over, and we, we got into a lot of conversation on how far behind the times uh, the United States are when it comes to equity crowdfunding, and Nathan had a ton of great information and insight into it, so so this conversation is is definitely deep. Um uh, and, and it was really, really, really valuable. So having him on here was awesome. And the other nice thing too is uh, tomorrow or November 1st, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, he actually has an equity crowdfunding book that's coming out. So if you want to go check out his website, go to assembleadvisory.com backslash book uh, and you can sign up to, to make sure that you're getting that, um, that copy right away. So, so if you're thinking about doing equity crowdfunding, this is the conversation for you to listen to. So, um, so let me go ahead and paint, paint the picture here, right? So I record the, uh, these intros the night before. So if you're, you're going to be getting this on Monday, it's actually Sunday night for me. And, you know, so you can hear in the background, I got some laundry going. Hear that? Got the, I've got the World Series on in the background, right? Got, you know, just kind of checking in a little bit. I've got no, you know, no stake in that game at all. I'm just, just you know, checking in a little bit. And I just got back from the bar, uh, from not from the bar, it's kind of a bar, but I just got back from my garage where I have my kegerator and uh, I just poured me a nice pint of, um, of, of the blood orange from Farmington Brewing Company. There's a little shout out to Jason and, and, the, and the boys up there, but let me go ahead and t- t- let's listen to that. Yeah. <sighs> that is a tasty beer and is necessary. So I had a very, very weird event the other day. Uh, so picked up my kids. I think this was Thursday, and uh, you know we get home from from school and, and we're, we get out of the car and we're walking inside. And all of a sudden, uh, Atticus is like, "Dad, look at the deer!" I'm like, oh, okay. So I look, and in my neighbor's yard is this huge buck, and with you know tons of antlers, big antlers, right? 
And so this thing's probably maybe 50 yards away. And we're, we're, not, we're just out. We just literally got out of the car right in our driveway. And, you know, we're staring at this thing. And I'm like, man, hmm, that's pretty close, you know. And let me paint another little picture for you. I live downtown. Like, I'm in a downtown area and, you know, not, not a lot of wilderness, right? Should be. Um, so I'm looking at this deer and it's just like, oh, well, okay. He's not hanging. He's just hanging out. And all of a sudden he puts his head down and his antlers at us and he's literally starts running at at me and the kids so i had to like you know uh you know process quickly that i'm being attacked by a deer uh i grab my daughter because she's just standing there you know you know i pick her up literally under one arm you know i'm like Addie, we gotta go we gotta get inside you know and luckily i didn't lock the door because i just had to go pick up the kid you know just had to drive down the street and uh literally get in the door and I watched this deer just make a Yui right in my driveway and go over to my other neighbor's yard and then, you know, gallop on down the street. I was like, what? Oh. Uh, you know, and, and what's funny about this to me is I come from the country. I'm a woods people, right? I live in the woods. That's where I grew up. So I, I've never been attacked by a deer until I get to downtown Farmington. So, so I had that animal in little incident. And the other one is I've got a gigantic creature, possibly like a raccoon or something, living in my garage. Because when I went out to get this tasty beer, let's have another sip of that here. When I went out there, man, there's some rustling going on that is definitely bigger, you know, much bigger than some sort of mouse or something. Um, so I'm going to have to deal with that. So I don't know. I don't know what that equals. Does that equal a trap? You know, I'm not, I'm not really Mr. Outdoorsman or Mr. Handy. But this past three or four days here... Um, you know, the deer attack, pretty intense. And then this gigantic rodent thing living in my garage. So those, those are the two, um, my two wilderness, wilderness, um, of, uh, events. Have you ever, have, have any of you ever been attacked by an animal or like a deer or anything like that? I think that's gotta be pretty low. So, so a couple days ago, and this, I had a conversation with, with Sean from the, from Woodshed Agency that, um, you know, I, I went out and I, up, I upgraded my uh, my iPhone. You know, it was basically free. I up, upgraded to the seven, and I gotta tell you, this is the first Apple product that I I didn't give two you know what's about. I I went and got it. It slipped right into my old phone case, and there's nothing exciting about it. It looks exactly the same. No, you know, there's no. You know, just n- no pizzazz, and I'm I'm concerned for Apple because I'm an Apple Apple boy here. Talking on a, you know, I got an iPad in front of me, an iPhone Seven. I got, you know, a, a Mac Air. I got a Mac Pro in a closet. I mean, I got an Apple monitor in front of me. I mean, this is you know, I buy a lot of their stuff, right? You know, and have for a long time from back from the G3 days, right? And uh, you know, but every, usually every purchase, I mean, even when I got an iPad pro not too long ago, I was like, man, this thing feels great. Um, you know, I feel productive in it, but this iPhone, something was different. And, you know, I just walked into an AT&T, even had my daughter with me and within 20 minutes walked out with it. And I think I just paid the taxes or whatever, you know, and you know, all that's really different is I have some more hard drive space. Um, and, and, now, shame on me for this one because this is me, you know, this is a definitely a, a millennial problem or a white boy problem or whatever you want to call it, right? This is just, this is not a major problem, but 
I was just getting really tired of the, I'm out of space. I'm out of storage. I'm like, man, I pay for all the cloud stuff. I don't know how I'm out of storage. And I don't understand why nine gigs is being taken up by the operating system. Mm-hmm. Apple, mm-hmm. you know. So I just, man, ah, I'm so concerned, you know. What's going to be that next product, you know? When, uh, and I just don't get it, man. I, I don't know. This this one, I just, I just never had that before. So I called Sean because, you know, he used to work for Apple and, and he's he's a fanboy, and I, I know he'd admit that. And I was just like, man, I just I went and got an iPhone seven, and I I don't care, you know. And and today, uh, I did find that I was very I was very annoyed the fact that I couldn't charge my phone and listen to a podcast. So I don't get it. I really don't. And maybe you know, there's obviously they're smarter than me, but. I don't think you want people like me talking like this right now, right? Not being excited about a product, just doing it to do it. Or maybe that is the ultimate goal. Maybe that's the ultimate goal if you're a tech company is you just get to a point where people have to do it. And they, they you know, they're just, I wouldn't call it brainwashed, but they just, they just do it to do it. You know, they just, and, and that's what I did. I'm not going to switch to something else. You know, <laughs> screw that headache. I, I just walked in. I'll take the seven, please. And you walk out. And when my whatever it is, two-year thing, I don't even know what I really signed up for, I'll just go in and go, oh, I'll take the iPhone 9. Thank you. And you just, maybe that's the ultimate, now that I think about it, maybe that is the ultimate tech goal. Hmm. So, all right, all right, all right. So I hope everybody's going to have a great Halloween. Um, You know, hope everybody's safe out there. Get as much candy as you can. Hopefully you guys had your Halloween parties all this weekend probably. And and hopefully you guys had a great uh, last week and and kicking off a new week. But um, so this is that time of the the show where I I tell you about the things you got to go do for me. Right? Right? So first off, I need you to tell a friend about this if you're digging it. Right? You know, if uh, you send it out to people, say, hey, man, if you're, you know, I heard you think about doing a campaign, send me to them. Let them listen to this stuff. A lot of valuable information. If you don't want to do that, sign up for the Slack channel. We've got a great, great community. You know, we're we're getting close to 100 um, uh, active users right now, which I'm blown away with. And we are in there talking about crowdfunding. Um, A lot of valuable inside uh, inside information, inside baseball, or, you know, really in-depth info, right? And, um, you know, you can ask us anything. And and the power of that is you get access to the founders, myself, Sean and Paul, we're all in there. You can ask us anything and uh, and we'll answer you very quickly. So um, so you have that. And then third, make sure you, uh, you you know, you're um, checking out the blog. Um, you know, like I said, there's a couple really good posts on there. Uh, if you want to check it out, the, I have a hundred, um, you know, resources basically to make your campaign go. So you can go check out that too. And just again, woodshed.agency. Um, so yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and, uh, kick into my conversation with Nathan Rose from Assemble Advisory. Uh, and like, and remember what I said, he's got a book coming out. And if you're thinking about doing equity crowd, uh, equity crowdfunding, this is the conversation to listen to. All right. Here we go. Here's Nathan.
Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm awesome, man. I'm awesome. Really looking forward to our chat today. Well, yeah, me too. Uh, sorry I had to uh, postpone our one earlier this week. Uh, you know, life. No. <laughs> no dramas at all. No dramas at all. I'm sure it happens to you uh, on the other side, too, where a guest cancels at the last minute. But, it happens. Um, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's all part of this equation. You know, you just you roll with it the best you can. So, yeah. Uh, Try and so, stay ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I checked out, um, you know, your kind of your online world, but I always like to kind of start my listeners off with kind of hearing your elevator pitch and and, and how you describe what you're doing and uh, and uh, that sort of stuff to start off with. Yeah, for sure. So I started my career in investment banking and finance, and I uh, saw this real need actually that there was equity crowdfunding offers that are out there that weren't getting the right advice. And um, I guess investment bankers, they tend to be pretty expensive. And they work in these big glass buildings in downtown, so the startups can't really afford them, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw this gap in the market. I saw that there were equity crowdfunding campaigns happening, and so I decided to uh, go off on my own and start my own agency, and that's what I do now. So real quick, where are you actually located right now? I'm in Budapest, Hungary. Okay. all places. Yeah. Really? So equity crowdfunding for the states is basically, I would still say, brand new. It finally came into law, you know, May 16th, I think is the day. How long That's is, right. How long has equity crowdfunding been around uh, where you are? Well, look, it's, it's very big in Europe. It's actually bigger in Europe than it is in the U.S. Uh, as you say, it right. only came through on May 16. But in the U.K., it's been going for about five years. In New Zealand, where I'm from, it's been going for two years. So in a way, you can see a glimpse into the future for what might be ahead in the U.S. Uh, compared to, you know, when you look at these overseas markets. Um, yeah, with with five years behind it, the U.K. is definitely the most developed market in the world. There's hundreds of millions of pounds being raised there now. So hopefully one day the U.S. will get there. Yeah. So, so how was there a big struggle legally? I, I guess I don't know about. I, I, that much about equity crowdfunding in Europe. So what was the, was mm. there a struggle to get it actually off the ground? Is it something that's always been around? Um, what, what's the temperature been like on, on equity crowdfunding? Well, in the US, it's been a struggle to get off the ground because yeah. it was actually passed into law by uh, President Obama back in 2012. Yeah, I know but that. Taken, I've, been, I've been waiting. <laughs> I've been sitting around waiting for five years, six years, you know. Right, but it's just taken the SEC and the various uh, legal departments four years, five years to get around to working out how they're going to implement this law. Mm-hmm. But um, in, in Europe, it's been going, I guess the, the governments over here have been more liberal in their application. Sure. Right? I guess the US is, is famously litigious and the SEC is a bit of a slow-moving beast. Um, but the UK, for example, they've got uh, tax breaks in place to actually encourage people to invest in these risky startups. What do you see, I guess, so what have you been seeing as successful startup businesses? What are what are the typical ones uh, in, in, in Europe that are having the most success with equity? So I always uh, split it into two camps. One is the, uh, I guess, the, the businesses with a natural crowd, and they tend to be consumer products. They almost blur the line in a way with the reward crowdfunding campaigns because people are giving their money over maybe for investment reasons, but maybe also just because they like the product and they want to get a discount or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the other the other side, completely different, are the really scalable, um, 
companies that probably wouldn't find a home in rewards crowdfunding just because it's hard to shoehorn software businesses or like a medical device company into a Kickstarter reward, right? Sure. Like that. yep. So they haven't had a they haven't had a home in rewards crowdfunding to date. Yep. But because this is like uh, bringing venture capital out to the masses, uh, people now from you know as little as a hundred dollars or even ten pounds in the UK, uh, you can invest in these startups with great scalability potential. What does the Okay, I'm, at, I'm going to probably going to ask a ton of questions. I might be getting more info yeah. out of this because we're we're <laughs> still like finding out all, all this data right now. So, um, right. you know, what does an investor typically look like over the last five years uh, in Europe uh, into these projects? What, what what's their demographic? What are they into? Mm. I think they're mostly going to be educated guys who have got some disposable income, right? I don't think it's generally the uh, the grandmothers who are putting the last $10 of their pension into these things. Sure. There's, sure. You know, there's risk disclosures everywhere that says that, yeah, it's risky business and you should understand the risks. So it tends to be your more sophisticated, uh, or educated 20 to 45 crowd, I mm-hmm. think, are putting the money into, into yeah. this. And there's some research which backs that up. Yeah. And... and and I guess what is it that they're looking for from these companies to um, you know get the money out of their wallets? What, what what's a plan look yeah. like? I think it again goes back to the uh, the distinction I made before. So if you're looking at the low businesses of the natural crowd, they might be crowdfunding, for example, a beer brand that they really like because they get. Uh, beer at a discount in maturity and that's a pretty nice story to be able to tell actually there was one uh, campaign uh, called Chilango which offered burritos and the way that they got a lot of traction in their campaign was they offered burritos for life mm. uh, so you can imagine how well that went down with the with the uh, young professional crowd yeah, I like burritos uh, so yeah uh, they love <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah and I like I like burritos for life even more <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of burritos <laughs> <laughs> That's right, but but then on the other hand, um, there are the the guys who are actually building a portfolio out of these companies now that they're putting a hundred or a thousand into each of these campaigns, and I think this is the really interesting application of equity crowdfunding. Think of it like this: let's say that you have a net worth of five hundred thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars at retirement. That's actually pretty reasonable if you own your own house. You can put a fairly small percentage of your overall net worth into this new asset class, right? You can put, let's say, 5% of your net worth, 5% of uh, 500000 that's $25,000. Mm-hmm. So you can get exposure at, let's say, $1,000 each to 25 of these companies. And you can actually be, yourself, a little miniature VC that you expect most of them to fail because they are high-growth early-stage startups and most of them do go bang. But you hope that some of them are the ones that succeed are going to succeed well enough that, that makes up for the failures. That's that's very intriguing. That is what you just you just planted that seed in my head there. I never even thought about it on in that way for the the investors to think about it that they're turning into little VC funds. It, it just I, like I, that's where I'm still you know. So I've been doing Kickstarter since it started. Like I, I actually um, my partner and I we met Perry Chen and you know started our company basically about a month after Kickstarter came on board. So. 
Like, I understand those backers inside and out. But when it comes to this equity, I don't know who yeah. that person is yet. Like, you know, it's not me. I don't have disposable income. I've got two small kids. I, I, I dream about it. It would be nice. So it yeah. still is a person above me. Um, and, but then it's like, but where are these people hanging out? So again, I, you know, and this might be, we can get into like how you're maybe advising, um, um, people mm. around you is, you know, is there a Facebook ad strategy that you're recommending? Is there, um, you know, uh, traditional media, a press release? How does a business kind of right. get started if they want to go down this to start reaching these people? Right. So- similarities and differences between rewards and equity campaigns. I think one of the big differences is that equity campaigns rely on social media and and these kind of mass outreach efforts um, to a much lesser extent, right? You'll be aware that there have been Kickstarter campaigns, which there have, it's it's, it's a product which is itself so cool and so viral that they just reach their target through likes and shares and, you know, social media blasts. I think that's less true when you've got people who are investing for different not even what the product. Maybe they they think that it's a great idea with great scale of There's there's a different story you need to tell, of course, because most entrepreneurs are very good at telling the story of their product, but they're less good at telling the story of their business model. Right. Um, but the initial need to generate momentum is exactly the same, but I just think it's done in a different way. So there's a concept in equity crowdfunding called uh, the the lead investor, the lead investor. So Mm -hmm. this, I think, is the best way to start your campaign off on the right foot is to find one person who's actually another notch above again, so someone of really high net worth, uh, who's maybe an angel investor who's gone ahead and invested in these types of companies before. You know, they might actually by themselves put in 25 or 30% of the entire round. And that way, the um, the mums and dads, I suppose, or the, the ordinary folks, sure. people like you and me who, who follow along, have a lot more confidence because they can see that there's this really smart person who has invested in these types of companies before, gone on to achieve successful exits, and they are the ones who have backed it with their own money. So there's the, it's just that way the uh, the confidence is built is different. Well, you, you know, that, that, that makes so much sense uh, in terms of it's almost proving that viability a little bit. Uh, I guess when I, when I think of a Kickstarter campaign, that's what I always think of press as doing, you know, traditional press. is mm. like it, it validates, it won't always equal backers, but it validates that this is a real thing. It's safe. It's secure. You're going to get your product at some point. So it's, that almost seems like it, it's a, a bit parallel to what you're discussing right now of, of um, you know, if you get that one money guy, the big guy in there, right? Uh, yep. It, it just makes me go. I'm going to give two thousand dollars instead of a thousand dollars. This is a you know um, as close to a safe bet as possible. You know, in this world, right? Or you know, I'm I'm wedging my my bets you know more carefully. You know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I think in both cases, in rewards and in equity, you're looking to build trust, right? Sure. Use that word. Yep. And. The way that you build trust is just different in each in each way. So, have you seen? So, so here we're seeing restaurants. I think are, are t- starting to take advantage of this. Breweries. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I saw a couple like um, uh, service type oriented, like uh, almost like an Uber, but for veterinarians was one of them that I've seen that's doing pretty well here. So, 
yep. you know, what, again, are there th- maybe two types of businesses that you've seen in Europe that have, have really exploded by using this? Is it the restaurants of the world? Is that, you know, just a mm-hmm. common good equity crowdfunding, con- you know, candidate? Look, I, I would say that restaurants probably not, just because they're limited by their geography. Mm, right. Uh, but, but products can. So you can have uh, yeah, beer brands or uh, fashion items, consumer products. Again, this is the way that it's blurring the lines between rewards and equity. And I think the other category would be companies with a socially sustainable or world-changing angle to them, because those types of companies... Well, they're just generally more interesting, I think, and and they also take advantage of the trend of people wanting to see their money uh, do good as well as generate a financial return. Sure. So there there, are, there is research that shows that companies with a uh, ethical angle or an environmentally sustainable angle tend to do better from from those who are just purely profit driven. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, how about real estate? Have you seen any trends in real estate going on with this? Real estate crowdfunding is a big thing. Absolutely. Uh, and if you can, if you can tell a real estate developer that they can potentially um, finance their development without going through a bank, and by getting people to pay for the apartments or the buildings that they're going to build in advance, then of course that's going to be extremely interesting to them. Uh, it's not the space that I play in so much, but yes, it is growing and it's growing very fast. So that might be a good pivot. So let's talk about you a little bit. So. You know, where did you grow up? How did you get into this? How did I get into it? Well, I explained a little bit about my story at the start with mm-hmm. um, the whole investment banking thing. I think it was it was just a natural outgrowth of what I enjoyed doing the most. Because uh, as an investment banker, of course, you're uh, you do what you're told and you work on the deals that you are. So there were some corporate bonds, there were some mergers, there were some early stage IPOs, and the early stage IPOs, I think, were absolutely the thing that I enjoyed doing the most. And when you think of what an early stage IPO is, it's actually very, very similar to equity crowdfunding. It's an offer of shares to the public uh, for a growing business and helping entrepreneurs with big dreams help them uh, raise the funds to realise it. Mm -hmm. As far as where I grew up, yeah, I grew up in New Zealand. which is a little little corner of the world, which is very <laughs> yeah. beautiful. Yep. Not 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 traditionally known for being a big player in the financial world, but actually we we are one of the leaders when it comes to equity crowdfunding. So, yeah, our market's been going for two years now. So uh, again, it's an interesting to see that sometimes these smaller countries, which have been able to move a bit quicker in passing the laws, that are are now leading the way. Um, and and not actually not actually the U.S. Even though you, the U.S. is the home of Silicon Valley. Sure. What what have you seen in terms of maybe from New Zealand side of it, or or the, maybe the smaller countries that can basically pivot quicker? What's the um, economic growth look like? You know, is there good data on that? The the uh, growth of equity crowdfunding is something like doubling every year mm-hmm. worldwide. Uh, so yeah, it's it's. Growing very fast, and I think people are excited to see the uh, success stories and are keen to join along. And there are advantages and there are disadvantages to to equity crowdfunding, right? It's like an alternative to getting VC or angel funding. It's an alternative to getting money from a bank. But 
it does have some some strong advantages, which I think are turning people onto the idea. Well, let, let's talk a little bit. What, what are some disadvantages? I mean, what have you seen is you know something where you mm. would just stand back and go, you know what, this is not right for my company right now. Well, I think equity crowdfunding is still a marketing exercise, and it's an, and it's an investment exercise, but it's also a marketing exercise. So. If you don't feel like you can execute well on a marketing plan, then it's probably not for you because it does take a lot of attention away from running the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also say uh, if you're not comfortable with having the details of your company and the whole business model exposed to the world, yep. some some companies are just not comfortable with the idea that their competitors can effectively see the bare bones of how they work. Sure, right. So, and that way privacy can help. And I think another thing is that, as I mentioned, it is a lot of work. So um, if you can find an angel investor to just cut you a check, that can be done in a matter of a few weeks. But but an equity crowdfunding campaign is really at least a two and more more likely a three to four month exercise before you get in the bank. How about fees typical or ballpark for fees for a company to set up what what have been the rates that you've seen there because i think we're still trying to get our footing here in terms of cost to actually pull these things off consistently yeah yeah so there's there's two elements right there's the contingent costs which only get charged in the case that your campaigns are success and most of those will be charged by the platform similar to uh, rewards crowdfunding it's in the range of five to ten percent for most platforms out there yeah the costs that startups are usually really concerned about are the ones that they're going to have to pay regardless of whether they raise any money or not, right? Yeah, because right. there is a chance that their campaign could fail and they actually end up worse than where they started. Mm. Um, look, you do need a lawyer and lawyers are not cheap. You do need a video done uh, unless you've got the capability to do that in-house. And you know, there are various professionals, same in the Kickstarter world, who yep. will... Um, who will help you out if you need it and if you need your hand held by professionals along the way, obviously the costs will mount. But like as a ballpark, like I've, I've surveyed oh, you know, dozens of companies now about what they paid up front and I hate to give the answer that it depends, but I would say a range is from almost nothing to 35000 US dollars with maybe an average of about 10000 Yeah, Yeah. Would, would be the ballpark I give you. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I was wondering where you're going to go with the with the with a range, and and that's what I'm seeing here, just in the early going. That it's probably to get the whole ball rolling, you know. Yeah. Um, the the business plans, the photos, the whatever, everything you need to to basically look kind of sexy, right? Like, you know, you can't just be like, oh yeah, I want a hundred thousand dollars today. It's like no. Yeah, you, yeah. You got to put a little bit and of that, work in, you know. And that's another really important point because there's that quite high level of cost it really only makes sense to do an equity campaign if you're raising i think at least thirty thousand dollars yeah so you you can't do the the kickstarter thing where you're going to only raise a thousand or two thousand bucks because because frankly the fees are just uh more than that in most cases but so it's thirty thousand at least i think and it can be up to several million, depending on which country you're incorporated in. How about, just talk a little bit, um, before we get into I want to talk a little bit about your book that's coming out in November, but sure. how, about, how about regulations? Um, I know that that's something that still is kind of still up in the air right now in terms of 
you know, can I trade my shares if I'm an investor at some point? Like some of that stuff is still gray area here right now. Um, how about what do regulations typically look like um, on the investor side that you might have to go through? So on the investor side, uh, one of the really important ones is whether there's an investor maximum. So actually in the US, if you're an ordinary person with ordinary levels of net worth, you are subject to a maximum of $2,000 per offer you can invest in. So, so that has implications for your raise because it means that you can't expect there to be a fewer number of people putting more in because right. each person is going to put in a maximum of 2000 each. Um, that's just a securities law. In most countries in Europe, the, that doesn't exist. Hmm. That, that limit. Um, the trading of shares thing, generally it's, a, it's allowed, um, but then it's down to the company to decide whether they want to enable that. Uh, and then there's other shareholder stuff, and you get into a lot of detail in yeah. this. But um, you know, it's whether you use a nominee structure, which effectively means that your shares are being held as an intermediary between the shareholder and the company, or whether it's direct, and that has implications for uh, shareholder communication down the track. Because remember, it's not like a rewards campaign where once you deliver the product to them, they are satisfied and they. You know, you can choose for them to go away if you want. You you now have investors who are on your shareholder register until they sell. Right. And that typically only happens when you yourself as a company go through um, a sale to a larger company or an initial public offering. So it has implications for who you're going to have stuck with you um, for the long term. So for you as the business, how much can you regulate what these what these investors can and can't do inside of the company is that something that's like laid out in a plan that they have to read or or you know or is it across the board hey if you're an investor you always get this minimum basically you know yeah i, th I think the different platforms have different standards for that mm. so some platforms will enable you as a company founder to offer non-voting shares which obviously means that you get yep. to retain more control of your company the shareholders become uh, economic holders in the company, as in they get a share of dividends and they get a share of proceeds when the company is sold. Um, but they don't they don't get to vote, right? So you still get control over whether you sell your company or not. Uh, but other platforms are very tough on that, and they say, actually, no, we, we represent not just the companies wanting to raise, but we also represent the investors, and so they insist that everyone gets voting rights. So uh, I think it's... It's a combination of the regulations in your country and also the platform which you select. And, and by the way, choosing a platform, I think, is much more of an undertaking um, in the equity crowdfunding space than it is in the rewards space. Because, you know, there are a lot of platforms and rewards, but really there, there are two which are much larger globally. But in equity crowdfunding, because it's regulated by each and every country's securities regulator, so the SEC in the US and the uh, FCA in the UK, what you tend to see is that the crowdfunding ecosystems are very nation by nation. Uh, so you've got to, yeah, it's not just a case of choosing either Kickstarter or Indiegogo, you've got to be aware of what your national um, landscape looks like. So, so with that said, there probably won't 
be one big platform or two big platforms like Kickstarter and Egogo uh, that just kind of become the you know the gorillas in the room. It seems like that will never, mm. probably never happen because of what you just said, right? I think that's right, but I think there will be some who try. Yeah, um, I mean, of course. There's a, there's a big land grab going on right now because equity crowdfunding is such a big space and there are a lot of platforms opening up and mm-hmm. and trying. Um, I think maybe what you will see is a more region-by-region region focus, as in there might be one that becomes the biggest in Europe. There might be another one that becomes the biggest in North America. Uh, so there are some uh, some platforms which are pursuing that strategy because they can do things through, through NAFTA or through the European Union. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about your book. So you've got a book coming out uh, first week of November. Is that correct? Is that what I read? The first day of November. First day of November. Day. That's it. Yep. Missed the word day. So what's the book going to be about? So the the book is a how-to guide for startups and growing companies who want help navigating this equity crowdfunding space. And I'm very honest throughout this book. I, I say if you are thinking about it, here's some reasons why you should, why you shouldn't. Here's some reasons why you should maybe consider alternatives. And then once you've decided that you actually do want to go ahead with the crowdfunding campaign, I step through all the um, all the decisions about choosing a platform, how to form your marketing campaign, and what you should be doing during the process uh, itself, and and then afterwards as well, because that's a really important stage too, which a lot of pe- people forget. Um, so to put this together, I've interviewed 20 startups and growing companies from around the world and spoken to to 12 platforms, which are at the forefront of the equity crowdfunding revolution. What, um, did you speak to anybody? What was the, was there a United States one at all in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke to Republic, which are um, they're the AngelList offshoot. Who've, who've, uh, you know, they're run by the AngelList guys, but they're they're um, yeah, set up a different brand to pursue Title Three equity crowdfunding. Hmm. Uh, and was was there a startup from uh, from the United States that you uh, you talked to? No, no, not not yet. I mean, yeah. there have been a few companies that have, um, which have gone on and done it, but th- because the history has been so short, right? You know, only becoming legal uh, on on um, May 16, yep. haven't quite managed to squeeze a US company in there yet. But but actually, a lot of the lessons are globally applicable. Yeah. So, um, where will people uh, be able to get the book? Yeah. So it'll actually be available for free for the first few days, um, November one. And um, you, you'll be able to visit assembladvisory.com forward slash book. It'll direct you to the Amazon page. You can get it on Kindle or you can get it in uh, hard copy. Um, and, yeah, that's that's how you can get a hold of it and explore whether equity crowdfunding's for you. That's cool. let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what does it take to actually write a book? <laughs> I mean, what just, just a book? book in general. Uh, yeah. You know, what was your process like there? I'll tell you, man, it's a, um, it's a heaven undertaking, but the turning point for me was when I told everybody that I was going to do it, right? Okay. Because I think everyone is, uh, is afraid of telling everyone and then looking stupid that they right. don't do it, but that's actually the very reason why you should do it if you're really committed. <laughs> so I put it out on Facebook. So I'm peer, writing this book. Pressure. Here's how many is words on that. Peer pressure, right? Yep. Chapter of peer pressure. Peer pressure absolutely works. Um Look, I mean, there's there's a phase where you just got to have a daily writing discipline of knocking out your thousand words every day, and yeah. you get a complete draft together. Once you've got that, then you can send it off to people to see what they think. And 
And it's actually surprising that they they all came back and said, you know, actually, this is pretty good. So that was gratifying. Is this and the they first gave book? Me some excellent is this the first, first book you've book ever? Yeah. 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 And I think it's I think it's easier if it's a, if it's a how to book like this, because it's just getting all the knowledge that's already in your head down on paper. Right. I mean, I'd hate to I'd hate to be writing a um, a novel or something, right? Because then you've actually got to be creative. And um, the other thing I did, though, like a lot of content came from the startups and the and the platforms that I interviewed. Right. Um, so that that was helpful too. And the part that I think a lot of people who write books don't get is allowing themselves enough time for marketing and working out how the whole Amazon algorithm works. So there's a lot of store placed on the launch, much like a crowdfunding campaign. Yep. If you get the launch right, you can um, generally have a high degree of success. But if the launch doesn't go well, then your campaign gets buried at the bottom of page uh, 1,000 and you never get seen. The same with Amazon. So yep. uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see how it goes. What's the plan after the book launches? Uh, take a break, first of all. <laughs> take a break. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I've got a few. Um, I've got a few follow-up events planned. So I'll be in London for the weeks immediately following the book's release. So there'll be some there'll be some seminars, which if people get onto my email list, they can hear all about. Um, London is, uh, as I've said, the uh, the heart of of fintech and where most of the equity crowdfunding activity is happening right now, mm-hmm. as of 2016. Um, yeah, there'll be a few events going on, and yeah, just uh, going to. Maybe start planning for the next one. Who knows? I think once uh, once some authors have done one, they always want to get straight onto the first one. But I think uh, not onto the next one. But I think I'll at least take a short break before uh, before that. Yeah, I, yeah, I bet I could see uh, taking a quick break here. You know, before before jumping back into version two point or whatever the new trendy thing might be that you have to write about. But um, so has there been? I guess you know that maybe somebody could look to maybe the pinnacle, this was one of the best equity crowdfunding campaigns out there that, that, that kind of pops in your mind at first. Uh, there's one, there's one that absolutely pops straight into my mind. It's Monzo, M O N Z O. They're a, a new style bank that's that raised a million pounds on Crowdcube and get this, they did it in 96 seconds. They hit their target in 96 seconds. That's quick. That, that is quick. <laughs> right? quick. So that, that, that had people literally counting down to their launch. Wow. You know, I think, I think often people talk about counting down to their launch as a figure of speech, but, but actually people were refreshing the page, waiting for this thing to go live at exactly the hour, minute, and second that it launched. And um, there were so many people that it actually brought down the entire Crowdcube website. Wow. So it crashed their server. Uh, but, of course, you know, the 96-second thing, that's a, that's a nice headline, and it gets, uh, gets a lot of press because they did it, of course. But yeah. well, to well, and what, raise what, that money what, in 96 seconds. What, hmm? was, what, was the, uh, what was the thing again? What, was the pro- like, what were they crowdfunding for? Uh, what was it again? They're like a new-style bank. Interesting. Right? So everyone's... Effectively, everyone, everyone I know at least doesn't like their bank, so they've created a bank from scratch, which uh, which does things in a really customer-friendly, user-friendly way, and it's all based on a smartphone. That's that's very yeah. intriguing. So, you know, while while we're on, um, I actually have a client that's kind of floating around me right now who's trying to get into the payment processing 
you know, PayPal squares, yep. all that stuff. And they've got a very unique thing. And I'm talking to them about equity crowdfunding. What, what pops in your head when I just say that to you right now? Yeah, I'd say it's absolutely possible. Yeah. I mean, there are case studies of companies like that being funded. And they're the exact type of companies, these highly disruptive, highly scalable business models, which fit into that uh, potential unicorn category, I suppose. Right. Yep. So you should you should look at, you know, my advice to your friend would be look at platforms which have uh, done offers like that in the past and, and see what uh, success they've had. Because right? yeah. different platforms have different audiences, as you're as you're aware, I'm sure, yeah. with the rewards space. Um, so that's that's a very good initial screen is ask what their audience is like and what interest they have in companies like his one. Yeah, that's a, that's great advice. I appreciate that. Um, well, cool. Well, well, Nathan, I mean, I think I think I picked your brain enough here on equity crowdfunding. I could probably go on and on, and we could get maybe even deeper into inside baseball. But yeah. um, so, so tell some of my listeners if they want to get in touch with you, uh, would that be okay? How could they do that? Um, you know, what, what should they do if they want to talk to you about equity crowdfunding? For sure. Well, the yeah, website I said before is also my site where they can contact me. There's a big contact button at the top, so you just go to assembleadvisory.com or you can reach out to me on Twitter as well at uh, assemble underscore ADV. Cool. Awesome. All right. Well, that's that's great, man. Again, I appreciate you taking some time out of the day to, uh, to chat about equity crowdfunding, and uh, I think this is a fascinating thing, and I look forward to the United States catching up with everybody else in the world when it comes to this uh, – to, to come to this great, I just think it's a great thing, man. I, I think it's going to open up so much yeah. potential for, for businesses that I don't have to go to the big bank to get my loan anymore. I can find a, uh, an alternative. So I, I think it's going to be a very powerful thing for the United States here. We just got to catch up. Couldn't that's the, all. That's all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, guys are, you guys are pretty good at that. You know, once you realize something <laughs> works, you can uh, make it work pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I guess that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a good way to leave it. All right, Nathan, I appreciate your time. Thanks again. Pleasure, man. Cheers. Monsters, monsters, crawling down the stairs. Monsters, monsters, hiding behind doors. Monsters, monsters, underneath your bed. Monsters, monsters, sneaking secretly. I'm just a hairy monster. Monsters, 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 monsters
song in probably two years uh so a little backstory on that that is a song called monsters uh that my songwriter partner and i uh jake stamper wrote mm, uh, probably 10 years ago now um <clears throat> i think he wrote it or started writing it and we finished it up i think when he had his first his son his um yeah so i thought that'd be a that's an appropriate song to play on halloween little monsters monsters um, so yeah, how about that conversation with Nathan Rose, huh? A lot of valuable, valuable information and, uh, really dug him taking the time out of his day to, to have a chat with, a, to, to, uh, with us. So, um, all right, go have a good Halloween, eat lots of candy for me and I'll see you guys all later in the week. Um, till then go raise that money.